Even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president. So go to Ballot Ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. From there, you can compare candidates based on the stances on issues, biography, or endorsements, and then save your choice to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on Election Day. This election matters. So make sure you are ready and you vote and you vote informed. So visit go to ballot.org, enter your address to make sure that you vote and vote informed. All right. Welcome to the second segment of the PBL podcast, also known as Politics and Brown Liquor. And you can find us on all of our social media platforms as the PBL podcast. That is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and of course, TikTok, which uh, put out a lot of TikTok videos. And um, if you don't mind on these platforms, please rate us, give us a five-star rating, like our pages. And if you're listening to this on Apple, in order to help the podcast, please give us a five-star rating and a comment. And, of course, you can support the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash the PBL podcast. You can find that on our website, the PBL podcast. There's an icon there that says Patreon. Please do click on it. Buy a membership, uh, any as little as a dollar a month, $12 a year to help support the PBL podcast. And there are other levels of memberships that you can uh, apply as well. And for that, for your money, you get video of the show and you get other content that is not available on any of the other platforms except patreon.com slash the PBL podcast. And again, I want to thank everyone for helping grow the show. As I mentioned on the first segment, we had our best week yet last week. And for last month, we are up well over 300% in listeners. And we are now currently listened to in 40 states plus the District of Columbia. And of course, somebody's trying to, they want to make that a state. And about 23 countries now. So thank you all for listening. So in this segment, it, this is being recorded on Thursday. So it is Thirsty Thursdays here at the PBL Podcast. So what I like to do on Thirsty Thursdays, we'll see how long this goes on, is let's bring in alcohol in our culture in America. And I'm going to throw out a little bit of worldwide. So let's talk about alcohol and popular culture. I'll throw in some politicians there that maybe had a little bit of a problem with the, 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 the drinking. And then let's talk about the drunkest cities, I'm sorry, not cities, states in America. I did look up drunkest cities, by the way, and it just wasn't that exciting. And of course, I have international listeners, so I'll show you or give you some of the top countries that imbibes a little bit much in the alcohol consumption. So first up, um, the article here, and this is from the Alcohol Rehab Guide. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it's got some great information. It talks about alcohol in popular culture. This article will be in my show notes. So you can read um, alcohol in popular culture, alcohol in music, music and underage drinking. Shouldn't have that. Alcohol in televisions. Uh, it goes on and on how the influence of alcohol in, in our society um, is so indelible that it 
is part of the problem. Okay. You know, obviously there's alcohol in movies, alcohol in TV shows. I mean, it's a part of life. Alcohol has been around since the beginning of whenever, right? We've had it. It's, it's just been a part of life. In America, uh, brewing early on was a big part of life. Now, back then, remember in the 1600s, 1700s, you had more of a chance of getting sick drinking water because of bacteria than you did alcohol because the alcohol clearly killed the bacteria. So it's a part of our culture. It's a part of our society, not just America, but worldwide. So understand it, not saying embrace it, but be responsible. So as we always say on the show, drink responsibly, do not drink and drive, but let's have a little bit of fun. Let's talk about alcohol in politics. Uh, And this is from the article. Alcohol has often been used as a tool amongst politicians to make themselves seem more relatable and therefore empathetic to the needs of voters. You know, there's the old saying, uh, a president, and it says this in the article, actually, uh, I want a president I can drink a beer with. This has resonated with voters uh, since the founding of the United States. It's just one of those things where we're comfortable. Hey, if I can have a beer with that guy, I'm going to elect that guy, which is interesting because Donald Trump doesn't drink. But he's still that president that you would want to have a beer with because it's not really about having a beer. It's about relating and and it's about being comfortable with that person. Um, This is why Obama famously had the beer summit, right? By the way, have anyone ever seen Obama drink more than one pint of beer? And did you ever see him actually finish the beer? I haven't. Now, here it is. This is from the article. Whether it's the idea of going to frat parties with George W. Bush back in the day, he said he was, you know, drinker and alcoholic, actually, or watching Elizabeth Warren drink a beer on New Year's Eve on Instagram. It wasn't that uncomfortable. Or Obama releasing a White House homebrew recipe. I didn't hear that, by the way. Uh, So it may be enjoyed by all. So, you know, the history of American politics and alcohol. This is from the article. In America specifically, there is a long history about the relationship between the president and alcohol. It begins with George Washington himself, who was an avid fan of beer and brewing. In fact, he had a brewery, by the way. That's not from the article. That's from history. In 1757, he wrote down his recipe for small beer on the back of his notebook. Uh, The recipe was recovered and published by the New York Public Library, and it is still brewed today. Thomas Jefferson was a notorious fan of wine, having served as the minister of France during the Revolutionary War. Uh, Our fourth president, James Madison, loved American beer so much that he attempted to create a national brewery. I didn't know that. Interesting. This would include the installation of a secretary of beer position, all to protect young brewing culture in America or the young brewing culture in America. That's fascinating. For years, this tradition continued. Presidents often hosted booze-filled events and went out and enjoyed a beer with supporters on the campaign trail. We've seen Clinton do that. We've seen Obama do that. Uh, We've not seen Trump do that because he unabashedly says he doesn't drink. However, in the late 1800s, this began to change as the temperance movement began gaining popularity. Presidents began to hide their consumption and publicly take a stance against alcohol. Rutherford B. Hayes, elected in 1876, banned all alcohol, smoking, and profanity in the White House. In 1919, despite President Woodrow Wilson's veto, Congress passed the National Prohibition Act. This established a constitutional ban on the production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages. So regardless, the next president, Warren Harding, was known to hold biweekly booze-filled poker nights. Now remember, as I mentioned in last week's Thirsty Thursday, 
it wasn't illegal to drink alcohol. It was illegal to produce it, import it, transport it, and sell it. But it wasn't illegal to drink it. So technically, Harding wasn't breaking the law because he was drinking it. But anyway, on March 2nd, again, going back to the article, on March 12th, I'm sorry, 1933, when the Great Depression was devastating millions of Americans, Franklin Delano Roosevelt famously announced, I think this would be a good time for a beer, and bringing the Prohibition era to an end. Now, jumping a little bit further in the story, years later, Jimmy Carter sound House Resolution 1337, which legalized home brewing. Hey, there's something that I can be proud that Jimmy Carter did. Woohoo! did not know that. Ronald Reagan, a proud Irish American, was so fond of a particular Irish pub that the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library built a replica of it. George W. Bush was considered the embodiment of a president's people we would like to have a beer with, despite the fact that he was sober during his time in the Oval Office. Still, he frequently referenced his more wild beer drinking days and even opened up about his possible alcohol use disorder. And all of this led to Barack Obama's White House homebrew recipe, house honey ale, and a house honey porter. I can make a comment, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm just going to leave it there. So, and he used honey from the White House <laughs> South Lawn Beehive. Uh, the recipe was released to the public in 2012 during his second campaign for president. Mm-hmm. Obviously, to make him more relatable because that's what politicians do. But this politician, Trump, he didn't have to do that because he doesn't. Now, and part of the article goes to international or speaks of international politics and diplomacy of alcohol. Alcohol is not just used to help politicians domestically it has also been used as an opportunity to aid in international matters of diplomacy bill clinton was known to take advantage of these opportunities he often took part in drinking related photo ops to help with his image abroad while helping negotiate peace in northern ireland he visited a pub in dublin and posed for the cameras with a guinness at the 1998 g8 summit in birmingham he visited the malt house pub for a pint of grinnells these instances do help create the just your average Joe image back home. However, it also makes you seem approachable and more friendly during international negotiations, no matter where your home country is. So alcohol has been used for generations, for decades, and, you know, because it, it's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of camaraderie. You know, I'd like to sit down and have a beer with that guy. So it's no surprise. Now, what this article, by the way, what this website, uh, uh, alcoholrehabguide.org, basically it, it tells you the importance of alcohol or the significance of alcohol in society, but it does tell you to be responsible because this is what leads to people maybe going too far. So again, from the PBL podcast, drink responsibly. So let's talk about, here's an article, A Brief History of Drunk-Ass Politicians. So uh, from Susana Martinez to Martin Van Buren. So New Mexico Governor Susana Martinez, uh, she's been shamed, slammed by critics, and the uh, opposition as vindictive, petty, and weak. Federal agents have probed years' worth of Republicans' sketchy fundraising activities, and in 2010, she was caught on tape calling a political opponent that little bitch. Apparently, she used to have these big parties, and uh, this one from the article, new release audio clip from the Santa Fe Police reveals, obviously this is not new, this is an old article, uh, a sergeant stating that Martinez was inebriated during a holiday, a hotel holiday party thrown for friends and staffers. Okay, this article 
that is from the dailybeast.com and this was released june 26 2017 so it's a little old talking about you know politicians and alcohol yeah you know new mexico governor okay you know not as exciting but how about this one president nixon carpet bombed while bombed president richard nixon's drunken behavior during wartime is the stuff of a white house legend appalling deeply unflattering legend. In 1970, Nixon and company were preparing for the invasion of Cambodia, which expanded the Vietnam War and resulted in several White House staffers resigning in protest. On one occasion, the president, drunk and slurring, called National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger to shoot the shit about the coming invasion. Nixon proceeded to put B.B. Rebozo, a friend and Florida businessman, on the line during which Rebozo uh, uttered the following. The president wants you to know, if this doesn't work, Henry, it's your ass. Kissinger subsequently lobbied the administration heavily in favor of greenlighting the Cambodia, the Cambodia campaign. And soon enough, it was done. So, all right. So now we got a slam on a Republican. Let's put a slam on a Democrat. JFK, responsible pothead. What? Tales of President Kennedy's unflinching womanizing, heavy painkiller use, and celebrity-abetted partying have all been well-recorded and widely promoted. But there was also that one time JFK turned down some more pot thanks to Cold War anxieties. And by the way, this is just a fun segment. I'm not fact-checking this. I'm not letting the left fact-check this. Just this stuff I'm pulled from the internet. So believe it if you want. Doesn't matter. It's just for fun. But JFK, a piehead? Hey, I didn't know that. So as the story goes, on one evening in July of 1962, Kennedy invited one of his mistresses, I love how they say that, one of his mistresses, over to the White House because he wanted to smoke some marijuana. Mary Pichot, Mayor Meyer, the ex-wife of top CIA agent, brought over several joints. Kennedy sucked down three, three, oh my gosh, but was, but when presented with a fourth, the president wisely resisted. A fourth, are you crazy? <laughs> anyway, it goes on. Suppo and this is a supposed quote from Kennedy. Suppose the Russians did something now, the Playboy president said. A few months later, uh, the president did in fact do something and the Cuban Missile Crisis began. <laughs> I'm glad it was three months later and not after the third joint. I mean, I, 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 three joints? I don't know how anybody smokes three joints. And then he turned down the fourth. <laughs> anyway, uh, Martin Van Buren, he was a notorious bin drinker. Van Buren very much was a guy who behind the scenes was really great at using booze as a social lubricant. Abrams explained, our eighth president was a heavy enough drinker, a habit he began at as early as 25, that it earned him the nickname Blue Whiskey Van. He took His job took a toll on his hard partying ways as he at least attempted to conceal his rate of consumption shortly after ascending to the White House as Andrew Jackson's Veep in 1829, five weeks after Van Buren became president, the country suffered the panic of 1837, a financial crisis that sparked a major years-long recession. Um, the economic catastrophe effectively ended his big league carousing because he didn't want to appear to rub the lifestyle in the faces of constituents. The American people voted the bum out in 1840 anyway. 
Charlie Wilson, remember Charlie Wilson there, uh, Tom Hanks did a movie, Charlie Wilson's War, apparently skirt chasing, drunk driving, anti-communist, yet another womanizing debauched Democrat from the Cold War era, Texas Congressman Charlie Wilson, again, he's one portrayed by Tom Hanks and Charlie Wilson's War, definitely had his fair share of booze, sodden moments that were anything but charming. On one night in 1980, while he was sloppily drunk driving home to have sex with his hot date, the Congressman managed to slam his Lincoln into a Mazda on Washington's D.C.'s Key Bridge. Instead of swapping insurance info or apologizing, Wilson left the scene of the crime and quickly drove home to avoid the cops. I don't remember that part in the movie. Uh, he was later got, he later got off easy with a $25 fine. Now, Wilson, this is what he says, the filmmakers were kind to me, Wilson said after seeing the 2007 film. I had the idea when they started out that the movie was going to be rougher a little more sex and a little more bad language. So he got off easy, you know, Democrat. So typical, typical, typical. Sorry, I had to throw that in. Uh, the, Ted Kennedy, the drunkest Kennedy, really. Do I need to say more? I mean, yeah, you know, we know, right? Uh, a 1990 profile of the senator by Michael Kelly paints a decent picture of how certain behavior runs in the family. Here's from that article or that profile. A former mid-level Kennedy staffer bitterly disillusioned recalls with disgust one, now ex, high-ranking aide as a pimp whose real position was to procure women for Kennedy. The fellow did have a legitimate job, she says, but also openly bragged of his prowess at getting attractive and bettable dates for his boss. This is Ted Kennedy, people. Ew. The former staffer also recalls attending a party at Kennedy's McLean, Virginia mansion and finding it sleazy and weird to see that the senator had apparently established as his living girlfriend a young woman known to the staff as the T-shirt girl, a New Englander who had previously sold teas at a beach resort and who had reportedly met the senator through his son, Teddy Jr. Yeah, when I heard T-shirt girl, I thought something different too. I get it. I'm with you on that. It goes on. A waiter at La Caline, a French restaurant near the senator's office, remembers a drunken Kennedy and a fellow senator recently staging a late night scene out of the three musketeers, grabbing long stalked, uh, whatever this is, from, a, uh, from a, a, a plan, I guess, from a vase in the front hall and fencing just like the Argatine. I'm saying that wrong, I know. At the same restaurant in 1985, Kennedy and drinking buddy Senator Christopher Dodd of Connecticut did a Mexican hat dance on their own framed photographs. According to the Washington Magazine, which broke the story, Kennedy spotted Dodd's framed photo on the wall and shouted, who's this guy? Laughing. He grabbed the photo from the wall, threw it on the ground, breaking the glass in a frame. Dodd, not to be outdone, located Kennedy's photo and returned the favor. Yeah, we all knew Kennedy was a sleazebag, right? If, by the way, if you haven't seen that film, Chop Quiddick, it's actually really good. doesn't paint Kennedy in a positive light at all, but it's a really good film. Uh, and Chris Dodd, yeah, I knew about Chris Dodd too for a while. Mm, yeah, he's also a sleazebag. And Chris Dodd right now, if you don't know, runs the uh, MPAA, Motion Picture Association of America. Yeah, he's the guy that decides what ratings movies gets. Yeah, did you know that? Did you know that's what Chris Dodd went from politics to running the MPAA? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. By the way, it's just a massive lobbyist firm. All right, well, let's go your state, America's drunkest states. Now, I'm not gonna go through all 50 of the states, so why don't we talk about the bottom 50, or the bottom 10 or 15, and the top 10 or 15. Because I, when I pulled up this article, and this is from uh, 247wallstreet.com, 
com, America's Drunkest States is the um, headline. It's by Cheyenne Buckingham. Uh, it was posted on March 7, 2018. So there's a couple of years past, maybe with all the events that's happened since then, maybe this has switched a little, maybe not, but pretty fun read. Um, what it goes on is it ranks the states, it tell the percentage of adults drinking uh, excessively, alcohol-related driving deaths, adults in fair or poor health, and drunkest metro area of that state. I'm going to start out with the bottom because this really surprised me. Number 50, number 50, Tennessee. Tennessee's a whiskey state. Adults drinking excessively are 11.2% of the population. Uh, driving deaths, 28%, the 11th lowest in the United States. Adults in fair or poor health, 19.9%. That's the highest. Must be the bourbon. And drunkest metro area, Nashville, Davidson, Murfreesboro, and Franklin. This one surprised me. Tennessee, you think, would be high up there because you know associated with uh, whiskey. Number 49 is West Virginia. Adults drinking excessively, 11.4%. Related driving deaths, 32%, 25th lowest. uh, And adults in fair poor health, 23.7%. It is the highest. So they're 49th in overall ranking, but the highest in adults in fair and poor health and drunkest metro area, Morgantown, West Virginia. Number 48, Utah. You know, that's what I thought would be 50. Adults drinking excessively, 12.4%. Related driving deaths, 19.7%. It is the lowest in the United States. Adults in fair poor health, 12.9%. It's the sixth lowest. And the drunkest metro area? Salt Lake City. That doesn't surprise me, but again, I thought they'd be lower on the list, if you will. Number 47, this one kind of surprised me. Love this state, by the way. Alabama. Love Alabama. Love Birmingham. Adults drinking excessively, 13%. Related driving deaths, 29.4%, 17th lowest. And poor health, 21.2%, fourth highest. And drunkest metro area, Auburn. Okay, that doesn't surprise me. College town, 46, Mississippi. 13.3% adults drink excessively. Driving deaths, 23.3%. It's the third lowest in the United States. Fair poor health, 22.2%. Third highest. Drunkest Metro Atlanta, Gulfport, Biloxi. So it's kind of, kind of surprising when I got to these. Number 45 uh, is New Mexico. Uh, adults drink excessively, 13.8%. Driving deaths, 32.1%, 25th highest. Poor health, 20.2%, eighth highest. Drunkest Metro area, Santa Fe. All right, number 44, Oklahoma, Uh, drinking excessively, 13.9%, alcohol-related driving deaths, 29.9%, 19th lowest, Uh, adults in poor health, 20.9%, sixth highest, and drunkest metro area, this one surprised me, Lawton, Oklahoma, I would have thought maybe Tulsa or OKC. Number 43, North Carolina, adults drinking excessively, 14.9%, driving deaths, 32.3%, 24%. Fourth highest. Adults in poor poor health, 18.5%, 12th highest. Drunkest area, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Arkansas is number 42 on the list. Adults drinking excessively, 15.3. Driving deaths, 28.4%. That's the 13th lowest in the United States. Poor health, 22.7%, second highest. I think we're seeing a correlation here that drinking may not be what's causing. Uh, adults in fair and poor health because I've shown you the bottom eight states and some of these have the highest poor health. Drunkest area, Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, Arizona. Number 41 is Idaho. Adults drink excessively, 15.4%. Driving deaths, 32.4%, 23rd highest. 
So it's 41 on the list, but 23rd highest. And driving deaths, poor health, 14.1%, 14th lowest. Drunkest area is Cour d'Alene. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that is number 41. So number 40, this is our bottom 10 now, is Maryland. Maryland, excessive driving, driving excessively is 15.5%. In uh, driving deaths, 32.8, it's the 20th highest. Poor health, 13.3, eighth lowest. Drunkest metro area is California Lexington Park, Maryland, which is kind of uh, interesting because, well, it's California, but it's not that California, we all know. So those are the bottom 10 states as far as alcohol relating. So let's, let's move on over to the top 10 states in alcohol consumption coming in at number 10. And by the way, if I don't mention your state, then you're in the middle. You're okay. This will be in the show notes if you want to go look at your state if I don't mention it. If you're in the bottom 10 states, kudos to you. But if you're in the top 10, uh uh-oh, Michigan comes in at number 10. Uh, drinking excessively, 20%. Related driving deaths, 29.4. It's the 16th lowest. Poor health, 16.8%, 20th highest. And the drunkest metro area is Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan. Coming in at number nine is Nebraska. Adults drinking excessively, 20.4%. Driving deaths, 35.6, ninth highest. Adults in poor health, 13.4, tenth lowest. Drunkest metro area, Lincoln, Nebraska. Coming in at number eight, Hawaii. Hmm. 20.5% drink excessively, 38% driving deaths. That's the fifth highest in the United States. Poor health, 13.1%, seventh lowest. Drunkest metro area is Kahuli. I don't know how to say these things. Waluki, Waluku, Lahaina. So anyway, you can go look at the show notes for that. But I was kind of surprised that they came in at number eight. Uh, Maybe it's tourism. I don't know. But I know that uh, it's a leftist-ran state, and they got a lot of homeless problems over there. And what a great place to be homeless because of the weather. I keyed, I keyed. Number seven is Iowa. Adults drinking excessively, 21%. Driving deaths, 25.4%. It's the seventh lowest in the United States. Poor health, 12.3%. Fourth lowest. And Iowa City would be the drunkest metro area. Coming in at number six is Minnesota. 21.1% drink excessively. Uh, Driving deaths are 30.9, 21st lowest. Uh, Poor health, 11.9%, third lowest. And drunkest metro areas, Mankato, North Mankato, Minnesota. They come in at number six. So here we are, top five states with a drinking problem. (laughs) Illinois. Yeah, Uh, 21.2% excessive drinking. Driving deaths, 34.2%. It's 15th highest. Now you take out the shootings in Chicago and uh, maybe that that changes things. I don't know. Uh, Poor health, 15.6%, 25th highest. Bloomington, Illinois is the drunkest city in Illinois. Number four, Montana, 21.8% drink excessively, 46.3%. 3% of driving deaths, the second highest in the United States, by the way. Uh, adults in poor health, 14.2%. And Missoula, Montana, is the drunkest metro area. Number three, not really that much of a surprise, Alaska. 
adults drinking excessively, 22.1%. By the way, if you know somebody in Alaska, shoot them this episode because I don't believe I've had anybody listen to the show from Alaska. Alcohol-related driving deaths, 33.8%. It's the 16th highest in the United States. Adults in fair or poor health, 13.7%. It's the 12th lowest. And Fairbanks, Alaska, is the drunkest metro area. Number two, Wisconsin. 24.5% of adults drink excessively in Wisconsin. The alcohol-related driving deaths are 36.9%, 14% are in poor health. That's the 13th lowest in the United States. And the drunkest metro area is Green Bay, Wisconsin. All right. The drunkest city or the state, the drunkest state in America. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, drum roll. Oh, I don't have a drummer. We don't have a drum roll. North Dakota is the number one drunkest state in the union. Adults drinking excessively, 24.7%. Related driving deaths, 46.7%. It is the highest in the United States. Adults in fair or poor health, 13.4%. It's the ninth lowest. And Fargo is the drunkest metro area. So there you go the least drunkest states in the union and the most drunkest states in the union. Now, how about the world? What are the 25 drunkest countries in the world? Well, I'm not going to go through all 25. I'm going to give you the number one because I've got some international listeners. I don't have anyone here. And I'll be honest with you. I had no idea where this is and I had to look it up. It's Moldova is the drunkest country in the world drinking 4.81 gallons of alcohol per person. And again, I'll have this in the show notes, and you can go look at what the other 25 countries are, 24 countries are. But uh, honorable mentions they give here in the United States is 56th in the world with 2.49 gallons per person. As a whole, the United States, we are the 56th drunkest country in the world. and then. Yemen is in last place at number 188 as the least drunkest place in the world with 0.01 gallons per person. Thank you for listening to this week's Thirsty Thursday episode of the PBO podcast. I hope you had fun with the topic. Please email me. Let me know your thoughts at the podcast or the PBL podcast at gmail.com. You can find us online at the PBL podcast.com. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, the PBL podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Yeah, yeah, I know you don't want to get on TikTok because the Chinese, but hey, Microsoft may be buying them. So get on TikTok, follow my account, and of course, support the show. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and, and visit the pa- Patreon, P-A-T-R-E, on.com slash the PBL podcast, buy a membership, watch the videos, get this content that's not released anywhere else and support the show and keep us moving forward. And again, again, thank you for making last week our best week so far. And last month, just huge increases in numbers. Share this with your friends, tell everybody about the PBL podcast. And again, thank you so much. Everyone have an absolute wonderful day. And as always, drink responsibly.